0: We were going to lunch today and we passed by like a sex shop. And in the window, it listed off the things that it sold and it said novelties. But my brain is so in book world that it saw novelists. And I was like, what? That's the opening of this episode. Oh, my God. I know. It was like novelists. Fetish. I was like, what? Oh, no, that says novelties. We have a anyway, novel fetish. We have a novel fetish. I know we do have a novel fetish. That's true. But it's too silly. <laughs> I, on today's episode, we have the fantastic <laughs> R. Eric Thomas. I'm so excited. So am I. When I was editing it, I couldn't stop laughing. Here's a little bit about R. Eric Thomas. He is the best-selling author of Here For It or How to Save Your Soul in America, a Lambda Literary Award finalist, and the YA novel Kings of Be More: a Stonewall honor book. Both books were also featured as Read With Jenna book club picks on The Today Show. He is also a television writer, Apple TV's Dickinson, FX's Better Things, a Lambda Literary Award-winning playwright, and the long-running host of The Moth in Philadelphia. For four years, our Eric Thomas was a senior staff writer at L Online, where he wrote the popular Eric Reads the News column. And he's such a good storyteller. You can see him perform them live on YouTube, and they're he's just so great. We even talk about some of them in the episode. Brett, do you have a book you
1: want to shout out? Shout out, a book. I do want to give a shout out to this graphic novel that's released today, Washington's Gay General the legends and loves of Baron von Steuben. It's fantastic. It's a true life story of a general in Washington's army who happened to be gay. It was an unknown person in history done in graphic novel form. It's really smart. And so we just wanted to give a shout out to that.
0: I'm in the middle of reading it right now, and it's really making me just think about gay history and gay culture in a way that I never really had before. We don't have a specific bookstore to shout out today. However, we do talk about a whole bunch of books, not only with Eric, but we also have a very special guest at the end of this episode. We talk to Hunter, aka Shelf by Shelf, about some of his favorite essay collections, and we also just talk about other books. But something important to know is that when you buy through bookshop.org, you can choose the independent bookstore that you want to support. So not only does Gaze Reading get a little cut, but so does your favorite indie bookstore. So when you go and purchase any of the books through the link at the bookshop.org page that you could find in the show notes, uh, you can support whatever indie bookstore you choose. And we would encourage you to pick maybe one of the ones that we have highlighted in our previous episodes. And so that said, without further ado, I'm Jason. I'm Brett. And enjoy this episode of Gay's, Gays Reading. Reading.
2: Hi, how are you? Hello Hi there. Yeah so How glad to do that? this. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me. This is so <laughs> awkward. We're double booked
0: today. We're okay. actually waiting for Ann Patchett to join us. Get out of, shut up. <laughs> Oh my God, you're ridiculous.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but I will tell you, reading your book and then consuming more of your content, mm-hmm. I was inspired a couple of days ago to finally, at long last, pick up The Dutch House. Oh. And I had to finish it before this interview, and sure enough, I finished last night, and I mm, am dead.
2: Isn't it incredible? Oh, my God. That scene where they go back to the house after all those years, and the the stepmother is, like, screaming at the door, and she's got dementia. Oh, my God. I was like, Ann, you're spitting fire. This is wild. Oh, my God. I know. I love Ann so much. I love her so much. Wait, have you ever met her? No, I was supposed to meet her. I'm going to take one of these out. I can't hear uh, I was supposed to meet her when the book came out, when he, my first book came out here for it, we were going to do an event at Parnassus, and then it was supposed to be April 2020, so obviously no, it never right. happened. So I'm hoping that I can meet her when I go down. I'll be at Parnassus next month, knock on wood, oh, so wow. there be oh, no bad. global pandemics. Sure, uh, sure, day. sure. <laughs> I think I want to wave at her from across the room and then <laughs> never, ever speak to her. Because what could I say? What could I possibly say to Ann Patchett? I like that you're friends with Tom Hanks' assistant. To, <laughs> like you know, the most benign, ridiculous things would come out of my mouth.
1: We'll get into this with your book. Your last section reminded me a lot of Patchett in that mm. you. so much of it is I'm laughing, I'm laughing, and then you brought this thing home in the end, mm. which was so resonant, which is what she, like, in her last book, it was so that her essays and that's what i thought of them.
0: i was joking yeah. about being double booked with ann patchett but i i guess i wasn't she's just not here <laughs> yeah just to be a that's part
1: exactly of a- right <laughs> and you like, know that Yes, yeah, when we post this it's going to be about it's going to be like eric and ann or,
2: yeah truly she'll be like i don't remember doing that but sure okay <laughs> Your besties
0: now. Right. Right. I just wanted you to know you inspired me to finally pick up Dutch House and I love it. I'm so excited. I'm so so glad. I also loved your book, but thank you for also inspiring. (laughs)
2: No, please. Dutch house. My real goal in publishing in general is to get people to read the the Dutch House. If every book for every one book I sell, I want to sell two Dutch houses. That's my goal. (laughs) (laughs) Eric, how are you this morning? I'm wonderful. I'm really good. I'm just excited to be talking to gays. Just want to start my day always talking to gays. Brilliant. Neither Brett nor I are gay,
0: so exactly. that's fine. So no, that's a exactly awkward thing. Right. I just
2: I meant the podcast after this when I'm when I'm talking to gays. Yeah, it's me and Ann Patchett, and yes, our husbands are gay, but we.
0: Yeah, I just watched our storytelling event about the gay softball league. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was
2: the understudy right fielder. <laughs> oh my God, we really, we had the same role. Yeah, right. I like. I tell people all the time, I'm like, look, this made sense to me. I was going to join a sports team to be more masculine. And they're like, hey, I got to follow. And I was like, so I joined the Philadelphia City of Brotherly Love Gay Softball League. And they're like, okay, that's where you went wrong. And I was like, no. Because these people, were they were so butch and they were so focused on winning. And I was like, I'm just trying to wear some short shorts and look cute. And nobody was here for that. And this is before, you know. Now there's all these kickball leagues and pickleball and billiards, and those people—they're just there to show off their butts. Oh, I, no offense. That's yeah. Brad is a pickleball player. Yeah,
1: I, I am a pickleball player. <laughs> you know what, though, part of it is due to my age. After you reach fifty, everybody is a pickleball. That's it. That's it. Please. Mm. Yes,
2: I'm very uh, fascinated. I've never played pickleball. My my one of my best friends plays pickleball like every day he is 32 and like he's i've made so many friends and i was like who are these friends he's other oh, friends of my parents and this and that but like he loves it. it's transformed his life he's like i feel like i've become a better person i'm a better employee i'm a better man and i was like this is wild what ha- like what happens on this court yeah not all that
1: but <laughs> i
2: will Did he say, tell you no, yeah,
0: no i was like i would oh, what I happens on the pickleball run. court stays on the pickleball
2: court right i was working on i had pitched a um a pickleball film and i was like pitching it around and i was like well, if this sells then i have to figure out what i'm doing so i have to go I'm laughing
0: because you literally just told us you've never played it before and yeah. yet you're, you're, you're
2: pitching, pitching, it pitching a film about- hey that's show business baby <laughs>
1: <laughs> no it yeah, is really please. i have to say it's really fun and like all of our friends do it now but i get it and there's some people but i also read that it's going to be they might put it into the olympics yeah. Which that's where we have graduated to. But when you describe it to people, I'm like, you're holding a ping pong paddle and you're playing with a wiffle ball. And they're like, does it even bounce? And I'm like, yeah, it's weighted differently. But there are hardcore people too that I've gotten on the court with and they've been like, that's an indoor ball. And I'm like, really? They're all fucking wiffle balls. There's a difference. There's really a difference. An so, indoor ball versus an outdoor and it, football. I, yeah. And there's, a, there's wow. an article in the New York Times a few weeks ago about it's become a menace for neighbors near pickleball courts because the yeah. sound is that thwack is mm-hmm. so consistent. But I got to say, yeah, it's really fun. So
2: I got—I really want to get into it. But that, as with every sport, I'm always like, in concept, I would love to do this. And then they're like, hey, do this. And I'm like, ooh, ooh, babe, physical activity. I don't think so. Right,
0: too much sweating.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I understand.
0: Pulling muscles. Exactly. I literally pulled my neck out journaling the other day. So. <laughs> I can't play
2: pickleball. I know. I feel that. I, yeah, I took a nap. I'm at i I'm 42. I'm at, a, I don't really nap that much, but I'm at an age, it feels like where you wake up from a nap, you're like, did I break something while sleeping? And I literally, I had this, I pulled this neck muscle sleeping and it was, I was like messed up for three weeks. And I was like, do I have to go to physical therapy because I napped incorrectly? No, t- put me on an ice floe. Send me away. I don't want to be a- I don't want to be around. You anymore.
1: just have to think up your lie, like what you were playing pickleball and you pulled
2: Yeah, I was playing pickleball. I was trapped to the what is it, the St. Anthony Cross, the St. Andrews Cross, whatever it was. I was in the basement of some bar and whatever. That's exactly right. That's exactly right.
1: That's I was exactly prepping right. for
2: my pickleball film
1: and I <laughs> <laughs> I didn't stretch enough. I did yeah, It's stretch. like
0: the secret. You have to secret it out until you're saying it out loud in the world.
2: I really yeah. think that's the way I don't know. I'm not very I'm not is very successful as a screenwriter yet so i'm like yeah i guess i just you just have to tell people right. it's all about it's all about buzz i'm like hey i got a pickleball film hey wouldn't it be cool it's 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 bad news bears meets uh sister too, but on the pickleball court people are like
3: ah, oh, that's crazy that's oh
2: exactly right the that's headline exactly of this right. of the title of this
0: podcast episode can be our eric thomas tells us all about his <laughs> exciting upcoming pickleball film yes. we're just starting the buzz <laughs> right. here first Drop oh my now. god oh my god Not off the press oh so fun
2: oh my god and then of course i get accused of scabbing by the wga
1: oh <laughs> <laughs> no we recorded this a long time ago right. that's exactly right but paul Rudd has announced already that he's <laughs> yeah. yes oh, that's,
2: exactly like a that's exactly like a 20 year old that's exactly i have right. the same
0: birthday he's my birthday oh. doppelganger oh that's cute Fun fact wow. who cares no that's wow. very fun <laughs> Okay, we could talk, we could kibitz all day, but should we talk about your book? Uh, who cares? (laughs) It's funny because a part of me was like, I don't even want to talk too much about it because I want people to just read it because it's just so fun and then tragic, but still fun. And because I was like, I couldn't believe I was literally guffawing, tortling every page. Oh, yay. Oh, good. I
2: was like, I can't wait to talk to this guy. He's hilarious. Slash, I don't want him on our podcast. He's hilarious. Oh no! Well, here's—I always tell people say all the time to my husband—they're like, "Oh, you must laugh all the time at home." And I'm like, "Yeah, no, I'm deeply unfun. I don't think I'm his brand of humor," and uh, which is hilarious. We've been married for eight years, and I'm like, "No, but I—I I, what I love about writing, especially like writing books, is that like, I think you don't really expect, unless it's like a a book by a comedian, you don't really expect. Mm. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna laugh, but I'm like." I came of age really doing live storytelling and writing on the internet. And so you get that immediate feedback. And then like when people Mm. laugh, it's catnip, it's lifeblood for me. And Mm so I'm like, yeah, we can just put jokes on every page. And my editor is always, you don't have to, you don't have to put so many jokes. Like joke density is is an art. And I'm like, I get it. But what if every single thing I say is hilarious? And she's like, okay. (laughs) Oh my God. But what if,
0: yes. I felt that way. You could let your editor know that it was a good, it was a laugh, a moment to catch the breath, and then a laugh again. So, oh, that's the, all
2: to her credit. Like she, good, she literally uh, comes in there, right? Says, okay, we're going to do one, two, cut three, cut four. I'm like, oh no, but that's <laughs> so funny because I just go on tangents. I'm just like, because I, I treat writing books like I'm hanging out at brunch, and yeah. I maybe that's not, I don't know, maybe that's not how Dickens does it. But I was like, girl, let me tell you this crazy thing that happened to me. Three ghosts showed up at my room one night. Cheryl, I took this Ambien, and next thing I knew, <laughs> I was at a dinner at Bob Cratchit's house, and that place is a dump. So, first of all, he's got this kid who, they call him Tiny Tim. He looks normal-sized to me, but whatever. Right. And everyone's sad all the time. Disgusting. Ugh, all this to get a day off? I, think, I, think I don't that's how think so. I think that's how it went. Oh, oh my God.
0: God. <laughs> Can you please... Update that. Oh my! Dickens at brunch. That's funny. Dickens, Dickens at
2: brunch. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's that's a really fun idea. Like, you know, what? I'm going to do it. All this right.
0: is audio recorded, so we get ten percent.
2: Yes, exactly, exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> exactly.
2: Developed
1: in association with.
2: Perfect. Okay. I'll send you ten percent, and then when the deadline article comes out about the pickleball and Dickens at brunch. It'll also include a mention of you. Perfect. Perfect.
1: We didn't even talk about the book, but God, we got some brilliant ideas for Hollywood. (laughs) This is a general. It it became a development (laughs) accession. Exactly. Oh, my God. Exactly.
0: Exactly okay, wait, but why essays? I want to, we'll intersperse with, with about the book because I, I do want to <laughs> know a, cu- a couple of things. Why essays? Not It's not like a straightforward memoir. It's like a mix. Yeah. Of, where did that come from?
2: Some of it is because I started off years ago, 10 years ago, I started hosting The Moth here in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And then before that, I was working for a different organization that, that does storytelling. And so I got very used to the 5 minute the 12 minute story and so like building these building an arc and finding asking the question what did i want did i get it what happened along the way became very easy for me and i think when i sat down especially to write this one it was a little harder for me to figure out okay what is one, the one story that i want to mm. get out i think in retrospect i possibly could have written just a a book like a memoir about having a house and having a garden. Mm-hmm. But I think what as I sat down to write garden stuff, I was like, oh, I didn't pay enough attention to what I was doing. Too. I was like, and so there's this plant, right? And it's, it's just... got these four leaves and then it grows. And then you cause when you read, like when you read Barbara Kingsolver and she writes about her garden, you're like, oh, I can see it and I'm learning mm-hmm. stuff. And I was just like, I hated it. I hated gardening.
3: <laughs> uh, you
2: turn to
0: your husband and you're like, all right, babe, we got to do it all over again because I got to write the book about it. So we got to
2: move. Yeah, truly. Right. Really. So I think also the essay form allows me to build a sort of mosaic, a collage of mm. a feeling. And I really like that because it allows me to just like drop in and drop out of my life. This is more linear than my first book, Here For It. They are both like chronological, but this one, you really... you each essay picks up where the last sure, one sure, left sure. off. Yeah. But yeah, I wanted the freedom to be able to be like, okay, and then some boring stuff happened. We don't need to talk about it. Anyway, moving on.
1: Yeah. That's, makes total sense. You, I, I was looking at this, and a lot of the things you address in this book are, there's articles over the years that have talked about the major stressors in relationships. Mm. So many of them you tackle in this, which is yes. to say moving is one of them, jobs, finances, death in the family. In all of this, it seems like your relationship sustained and, what do you think the key is for that? What do you think the key is in your relationship through all of this? That's such a great question.
2: And there was a, I have to say, there was an iteration of this book where it was really much more about the existential existential crisis of our relationship. And I was mm-hmm, like, yeah. I don't know that I really want to get into that. Just, and, but you're right, when you boil it down throughout all these awful things, awful and hard and whatever, the life stressors. Challenges, um, yeah, sure. they're Challenges, challenges. sure. We've hung out together, and I think that we have an inherent curiosity about each other. I had this tarot reading one time, my first tarot reading, and because I grew up evangelical, and I was like, that's the devil. And they were like, it's not the devil. It's a Meryl Streep tarot deck. You're going to be okay. And they, the woman who was doing the reading, this is a friend of mine, she was like, the cards say to stop blaming your husband for everything. And I was like, excuse? Oh, he sent her a text before you got there. It's true. But it was like, it is one of those things where no matter what happens, it ultimately is, we don't blame each other. And so in that, and in that sense, we are partners in the most sort of basic sense of the word. And the times when it gets hard is when the partnership isn't working, when we're not working together. And so I think that our goal is always just to work together. But yeah, I don't know. I, it's, it is, I, I like the essay about, I, it's, I don't like it, but I, I feel, really moved by the essay about David's father's death because it reminds me so much about how even in the midst of all this hard stuff with the house and like the way that we were separated in the garden, we really were a a team in doing this awful task. And I guess that's what marriage is, just like being like a teammate on a a marathon. I hope it's also having somebody to do shots with, (laughs) But but I think it's all those things.
1: It really resonated with me going through it that last session especially like i remember you write this line that is so simple but so direct which was there's a before and then there's an after Mm. and my my father died he was out here visiting us because my son had just been born so it was literally my son was six months old and he and my mother came out and he went out one morning on a bicycle and dropped dead and never came back so we had to go and we had to go to the hospital we had to identify his body But I remember, and this is the moment, and I literally read it, and it it just came back when you were talking about having to tell tell your husband. And I remember sitting downstairs on the phone with the hospital, who shouldn't have told me that my father had been wheeled in and he was dead, but they did. And I had a baby monitor going, and I remember I called my husband and said, you have to come right home, something's happened to my dad. He was coming back from work and my mom was upstairs and I could hear her washing my son. Mm. And she was like, okay, it's let's get your back. And I remember sitting there and I felt this like bloom of pain kind of rising to go up my back. And I thought, I have to tell her right now Mm. that her husband's dead. Mm. And, but all of that kind of came back so strongly. And I just thought to myself, but my husband was such a rock star through all of that and was clear headed. And it just meant so much like reading that. I think it really is about a partnership and it's about give and take and going through it. And many couples don't, like they can't. And at far less, just a move can undo people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
2: yeah. It's, I don't and thank you for sharing that, that it's one of these things where it's, you know, everybody is going to go through it in some way, but like Mm -hmm. when it shows up, it's, oh my God, this is, this is it, this is how it's going to go. And this is who I have to be and have to be the person that I am right now in this moment. Oh, I thought I was going to have more time or I thought I was going to be able to read a, Read a how-to book on this beforehand. Right. Which is the amazing thing about David is that he, as a pastor, he's walked people through these moments so many times, and I just felt like I was flailing. I felt like I was failing him all the time. I've shared that with him, and we've talked about it in counseling. And he's always, "No, you were great." And I was like, "Okay, I hope so," because <laughs> this is the moment. This is life. Yeah, I don't know. And it's. I think people always say marriage is hard, and it is. But I think it's also. I I, I have this curiosity about like how marriage. Remains fun. And I think fun changes over the course of your life and the course of the relationship. But it's also to just know that you can depend on somebody. That's a miracle. Who can you depend on in life? And you said you've been married for eight years. Uh, Yeah, eight years since October. Yeah. I've been married six
0: um, with my husband almost 10. Mm.
1: We've been married eight years, but we've been together for 28 years.
2: Yeah. Wow.
1: Isn't that amazing? That's so, amazing.
2: I love that. I'm so envious. I'm so envious yeah. of well, you like, have, you met yeah. when you were like in kindergarten, right?
1: That's exactly right. And <laughs> I have to just say this for both of you, for all of us, we have many friends who have been in long-term relationships, straight and gay. N- mm-hmm. But many more of these straight relationships have fallen by the wayside than the yeah. gay relationships. Almost all of our friends who are gay couples have been in it for the long haul. And I just find that so interesting. And fuck you to the right and everybody right. who are the naysayers. Because it is and it's and I don't ever feel like it's not like we've all had to prove something. It's not that at all. It's just that you I also think don't you think there's a little bit of you find your person and you're like, I would be so lucky, I would be so lucky to have found this. And yes, there are times when you're like, Oh, my God, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. But Generally speaking, I mean, that like for you, that sequence with your freaking arm and I loved with your husband, you cannot put a shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I loved him in that moment because and I would have been you. I like I cannot go tits out to Cedar sinai I can't be seen. I'm like, where's the oh, gown?
2: Give
0: me my
1: ball right? gown.
2: Yeah, I can't go to an emergency room looking like I'm in an emergency. Can I can we please? Um, I and, you know, love that it, so much. Brett, you talking about that makes me realize as gay
0: people, we we've had to have hard conversations in coming out of the closet. And so like yeah. the concept of having a hard conversation with another person is not foreign to us. Yeah. And not all straight people have to have hard conversations. And so yeah. I think in relationships, you can perhaps more easily have challenging conversations, because you've built the muscle a little.
2: I think there's also some, you have to make very concrete choices at every step of the way. Whether your parents are accepting or not accepting, whatever, you have to say, I'm going to introduce them to this man. I'm, I'm, we're going to, if we decide to have children, we like one of the Everything things. Everything is very, right, intentional.
0: very intentional. Very yes. intentional.
2: I didn't include this in the book because I just couldn't figure out how, there's not a resolution for it, but we went through this adoption class. The book ends right before we start the class. Mm-hmm. We were the only, no, there we were, there's one other gay couple in the class and it was all over zoom but it was so traumatic for us it like brought up such weird stuff for us and and then the class wasn't very trauma-informed and there was some weird race stuff and i was like this is so hard Mm. just to get to the place where someone can begin to apply to have a baby and not to discount anyone who goes through a different process anyone who has a, a child biologically but the things that you have to think through and digest and work through and talk about As, like, a queer couple or same sex couple, there's just so many more, so many different things. I don't know. I don't know what it's like to be in a straight relationship, but I do think that there are some things that you're like, oh, this just happens. And that's very rarely the case with gay couples, I think. Yeah. My husband and I were living in New York City. We had
0: started the process of not the adoption process, but we had similarly gone to the information sessions and we've done the thing. And we even found an organization that we really liked, Mm -hmm. sent them a deposit. Mm. really started the journey and when COVID hit we moved to california and that company isn't licensed in california so we got our money back and we Mm. were back at square one and listen i think i don't want to say everything happens for a reason i don't necessarily believe that exactly Mm. however i don't think it was the right time for us to have a kid Mm. anyway so i think it was the universe saying wait a minute now's not Mm -hmm. the time that doesn't happen in relationships where people can have a baby biologically accidentally Mm -hmm. but a move across the country completely put the kibosh on right having a baby then which was very interesting it's challenging Mm -hmm. anyway For our listeners, can you share other than a book of essays, a memoir and essays? Can you share what you would say the logline of your wonderful new book? Congratulations, the best is over is.
2: Yeah, we described my first book here for it as a coming of age at the intersection of blackness, queerness, and Christianity um, in America. And this book, um, as much as I'm a little bit loath to use the term, it is I think a coming of middle age book. Even though I look. Extremely young, and you do. Uh, for you our do. listeners who cannot see, Eric looks terrific. <laughs> exactly, and very youthful. I'm going to a concert tonight, even though it's a Wednesday. Yes, that's right. I who is just, it? start at seven thirty. Oh God, it's very naked, ladies. So it's literally wow. Like, it's dad's night out.
1: <laughs> oh my God.
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's it is a book about the pitfalls and comedic challenges of. What happens after you get everything that you want? After you get married and and live happily ever after? And so, in the course of the book, I move back to my hometown under duress and have all the challenges of making friends as an adult. And then, midway through the book, the pandemic hits, and that's hilarious and um, funniest chapter. And it's the truly. (laughs) And so, then it's also about making it's both making a home at in your own home, but also making a home in a world that is changing for all of us.
1: You call the book, Congratulations, the Best is Over. So I'm curious, because it to me, selfishly, it spoke to people of a certain age. Mm-hmm. But do you think the best is over? I
2: don't with a big asterisk. I think that so much is over, both in, in life in general. You're like, oh, I, that I, I guess that's the last time I'm going to do that. And then for our society. But I do think that the best is so relative and it's so based on perspective and that there's so much beauty and sweetness and hope out there. And the book for me was really, even the writing process of the book was really reaching back out for hope. I started off the process really full of hope. It was called something different. Life kept happening and I was like, "Uh, uh, uh, uh." and, but, but my big question is when these things, when like what, when disasters happen or tragedies happen or January 6th happens, you're like, okay, why am I sticking around? And I really do, I ask myself that question. And the answer for me is always that I think that there is more life yet to live. And I think that's true for all of us. So I think the best is over, but I think there's more best. I think there's not only one best. And that's, I'm in a polyamorous relationship with bestness.
0: (laughs) Very gay of you. (laughs) This conversation so far is a lot like the book. Lots of laughs, lots of introspection, lots of heartfelt moments. We're doing a really good job paralleling the
2: book. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that we're on the same wavelength. I also like worry that I'm like, I come up like that I'm, I'm a big old fake and people are like, oh, the book was interesting, but in person, yeesh. So
0: I'm glad that it's all. I read the book, and then, like I said, consumed some more of your content, and then was bummed I didn't do the audio of your book, because I was like, oh, that's probably like a full-on show, your one-man show. Oh, gosh. Um, I do accents. It's a whole. It's a (laughs) whole. You're a big fan of Ann Patchett and the Dutch House. Love her. To ask you a question that is posed in the Dutch House, Mm -hmm.
2: do you Mm -hmm. think it's possible to see the past as it actually was? Oof, no. No, not at all. And I love that quote. I love that question. I write, I think maybe I cut part of this. It's so funny. It's hard to remember what's actually in the book, even though I literally just did the audiobook recording. And I'm like, I don't know what I said. But I think about my parents as they were the age that I am now and remembering who I was in that moment remembering who they were and knowing that memory is always tainted by everything that has come in the intervening years and also just by the perspective that I had. And so I just don't think, I don't think there is one version of the past, but I also think that once you leave the present moment, you're never able to really see what it was. You can get more Mm -hmm. perspective. I've had Plenty of people that I've reunited with 10 years, 15 years later, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we were great friends. And they're like, I hated you. Or they were (laughs) like, or I was like, "Oh, oh, we never really got along. And they were like, I always wanted to be your friend and you were always pushing me away or whatever the thing was. And so then the past changes again for me. And I think for me, one of the things about writing memoir and writing essays is that part of this work is a desire to keep excavating the past and keep asking questions and to get as much information as possible. But I don't think I'll ever really know, mm-hmm. but I just want to know more, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, of course. For, for sure.
2: I don't know. Do you think we can never ever really see the past as it was? I think to your point...
0: We were a different person in that moment and the mm-hmm. people around us, we don't have their shared experience. So we are all experiencing a moment in a different way. And so mm-hmm. I think the past becomes a little piece of each of those experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Like a weird way to put it. But a, an interesting example that I experienced recently is I met up with a friend of mine who she and I knew each other. We did theater when we were kids in South Florida and we saw each other for the first time in 20 years Mm. and we were chatting about something and she shared with me that it was my coming out to her when i was 12 Mm. that stayed with her and now she is a therapist for young people to talk them through the coming out process with their family etc but it was like but i frankly didn't even remember that moment of time because it wasn't as impactful for me as it was for her. Mm-hmm. So the way we each have an experience is different, you yeah, know? But yeah. so that, I think, is just is just very interesting. And I, and I also imagine we remember, I don't want to say what we want to remember, mm-hmm. but we do remember through our own specific lens.
2: Yeah. It's, I think that's so true. And it's fascinating. My parents have said the experience of reading my books has been illuminating mm-hmm. because because they're seeing, I'm sort of speaking authoritatively about the way I felt and what I experienced, and they're like, we did not know any of that was going on, or we remember different things. Even my manager, he read the book, congratulations, and he was like, oh, it really helps to shed a light on what was going on with you. And I was like, what do you mean what was going on with me? Was I acting weird? And I don't think he meant it like that. He just, he didn't know. We were working on a pickleball movie, coming soon. The best pickleball <laughs> the movie. The best
1: pickleball
2: movie not yes, right title. now cuz we're That's on strike. The no, title, no,
1: no, no. the best pickleball. <laughs> the best pickleball. Movie. Movie. That's the title.
2: Yes. Yeah. So it's just it's just interesting. I never get tired of rehashing stuff, of hearing the same stories from people. And I get excited about the future because it's like I'll, I'll get to ask questions about the present that mm-hmm. I can't ask now or I'm not in the presence of mind to ask or I'm, or, or whatever. And I'll get to know more.
1: You talk about in the book the idea of contentment and mm-hmm. contentment in love. Are you content now? Are, do you think contentment is a fluid thing?
2: That's a really great question. It is something that I talk about with my new therapist. I've had to change therapist from Brian, who I oh no, the I know it's a real tragedy, only because like I moved and so oh, Brian yes. is not licensed in the state that I live in now. Like, Shout Brian, out to Brian, we love Brian, <laughs> we, we love therapy. Brian. I was like Brian, break the law, I don't care. We have to keep working together, but I like my new therapist as well. To be seen in next book. truly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was part of our initial intake. I was like, so how do you feel about appearing in a memoir? <laughs> and don't ever
0: Google me.
1: <laughs>
2: I think I am content. Contentment is such a... It's, it is is one of the hardest things in my life because I have a extroverted personality. I love talking to people. I have a lot of energy. I want to always be doing something. I come from a long line of people who dealt with their anxiety by just being busy. And so that rings the bell of happiness for me. And that's the thing I struggle with through this whole book, especially the second half where it's, okay, I'm not happy right now. Am I okay? But I think that at the core, the question like, am I content is, it's so hard because it's like, it is really just the internal temperature. It is not even Externally, oh, I'm content, but the dishes need to get washed, or I'm content, but we got to buy a new house or whatever. But no, it's none of that. I am okay with the temperature inside. And I think so. I think that's true. I think that I am, as much as I continue to want to work on myself, want to change, I have so many things about myself that I'm like, we got to keep it going. I do feel a sort of sense of flow. September of last year, I started taking swimming lessons because I know how to swim, quote unquote. But I could not save myself in like a Titanic situation. And I was very worried that I'd be on a FYI, Titanic Definitely I don't think many of us could. So there you go. I'm At that one point, person. you probably just need to float. That was the issue. I don't think I could float. I was like, <laughs> I don't think I know what I'm doing. Okay. So I took swimming lessons. And I do it every week for half an hour. And it's very slow going, but there are times where I am not thinking about the movement and I am not working per se. I am simply just one hand over the other hand kicking behind me and my body is moving. And that feels like contentment to me. Mm. It's not I'm not like, woo, swimming. And it's not, oh gosh, uh, how do I keep from drowning? It is literally just my body knows what to do. I know what to do. And I don't think while I'm swimming. I'm not breaking down ideas or whatever. I really, I'm just like, Hand over hand, it's my it's a mindfulness practice. Yeah, and 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 that is something that I've really struggled with mindfulness and 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 riding bikes. <laughs> and it's, it's it has been really helpful. So I think of contentment like that. Um,
1: and probably and the so, true yeah. test of success for you will be: Have you booked a cruise yet? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I really want to. That's the thing. Cruises were so out for a while, uh-huh. and my parents love cruises. They go on cruises all the time. But then, like, all my gay friends are, like, showing up on cruises, little three-day cruises to the Bahamas. And I'm like, first of all, where's my invite? Second of all, oh, cruises are cute again. Then let me go on a cruise. Spotted on Instagram, cruises are cool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I do have to thank you also, not only for pushing me to read The Dutch House, for explaining to me John Travolta's accent in Hairspray.
2: I was like, girl, what is happening? Sometimes these people, these Hollywood people, get these sort of regionally specific East Coast accents, and they go to town no and right. i didn't God know bless. that's what he was going for and
0: then in your book you unpack that a bit and i was like oh that's what that was supposed to be now it yeah. makes so much more sense yeah and I think, kudos thank to him. you
1: yeah do you think when he prepared it was like the accent first or once he got the like suit on and the wig then he was Look, like i'm here it's so I, I
2: i do think he he was leading he's walking in the room accent first i really think he was like <laughs> it's just like working on it like medea because I just, it's not necessary in the text. Harvey Firestein wasn't doing the accent on Broadway. No. It's, we get it. I had a play of mine done in Baltimore recently. It's set in Baltimore. And the, I didn't specify in the play that the actors had to have Baltimore accents. But one of the actresses was like from the area or knew the area. And so she came into the audition with this phenomenal Baltimore accent. And it had this ripple effect on the cast members who played her family and so they all you could see them panic. panic and then one of them was like we need a vocal coach so they hired a vocal coach and i was like oh no i didn't mean all of this but i was like this is beyond my control and they're my never control. commissioning you again the truth <laughs> even before we run out of time we have to talk about
0: mm. your playlist of songs and and videos that make you emotional oh, because yes. the first on my list is Fantasia Barino singing? I'm here.
2: So good, so good. Oh Take my your
0: time, Jage. Take your time.
2: Time Jage. Yes. Take your time. If you ever have the chance to see Fantasia live, she is phenomenal. I think the best iteration of a Fantasia Barino concert. It's one of those, it's like an outdoor pavilion in a city that's got a pretty large black population. And it's just, it's hot, and you're sweating, and everybody's sweating, and she's sweating, and she doesn't have any shoes on, obviously. And it goes on forever. And The ones I've been to have been pavilions where there's it's on like a boardwalk or something. So there's like people walking by. Every once in a while you look over, like tourists, and they're just like, what's happening over there? Is a church? Is a hurricane? What's happening you know, over there? And the answer is yes. Yeah, yes,
0: absolutely. <laughs> it is both. Both of those it things. All of the above. Yeah. Uh, and go get it. your chair.
1: Go get yeah, pull moms. on. That. All
0: right. Brett is a casting director. Mm-hmm. I am a former casting director. Mm-hmm. You get to be casting director. I know the answer to this already. I know. Who is starring in the adaptation of your book? Jesse L. Williams, the
2: hottest man on earth.
0: What? Who do you think? You. Oh, me. <laughs> I'm
1: busy. I got to
0: be on the set of Pickleball,
1: too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, my God. It was such a big success.
1: There's a sequel. It's still Clattering. pickling. Did you see Take Me Out? I, I got
2: sick. I had tickets and then I got sick. I couldn't see it. So I gave mm-hmm. them to a friend. And I was like, enjoy.
1: <laughs>
2: I really wanted to see it. Yeah. And that's the thing I really, I generally don't like on stage nudity because I'm. Like, I get uncomfortable because I'm just like, Mm -hmm. now I'm in a room with a naked person. Screen nudity, it's whatever. But on stage nudity, I'm just like, I'm very aware that this is a naked person. But I like Take Me Out a lot. And I really wanted to see it, but I didn't. Oh, yet another thing that I missed out. Oprah, Favorite Things, Jesse L. Williams, It Take Uh Me Out. Just tragedy on tragedy. The best is, in fact, over. It's. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
2: yes, but there's um, more
0: to come. I know there's speaking of come. Eric, can you tell us what you're working on next? Are you allowed to talk about anything?
2: Yeah, I am working on well, I have a, a couple of plays that are going to be running around the country this year, Buffalo, New York, Amazing. Indiana, and Philadelphia. So I'm working on those, they're mostly done, but I'm just going to be like dropping in. But I have another book coming out. I think it's 2025. Amazing. It's a rom-com about two men. It feels a little, you've got male It's a romance between a guy in his like late 30s and a guy in his mid-50s who are on opposite sides of what to do about this resort in this small town in central Pennsylvania. So it's got a little bit of Terry McMillan vibes, a little bit of Shits Creek vibes. I'm very excited about it.
0: Eric, this has been so fun. Thank
2: you. Just delightful. I love this. This is a great way to begin my day. Thank you so much. This is your delights. This podcast is so fun and so great. So thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. The book is great. I know.
0: I like truly, and I'm not just saying this, I laughed on every single page. It was like annoying. My husband was doing work next to me. He's like, What are you laughing at? I was like, Let me just read you this one thing.
2: <laughs> oh my God. See, that makes me feel so good. I was like, Oh, what if people don't think this is funny? So it's really, it's so helpful to hear that people think it's funny.
1: But really is. A great. You're your delight. Day. Thanks. Like
2: you too. You too. All
0: Thanks. right.
1: Bye. This was so much fun.
0: And now we're so excited to welcome to the podcast Hunter, AKA Shelf by Shelf on Instagram. Uh, welcome Hunter to Gaze Welcome reading. Hunter. Yay. Hunter, how did Shelf by Shelf come to be?
3: I thought I was being very original by posting all of my book reviews on uh-huh. Instagram. And then it turns out I wasn't. I realized that Bookstagram was a thing. I was like, oh, I need like a cute little Instagram name. And I used to love that show Step by Step. And so in my head... Day by day. Yes. Okay. And that's, <laughs> so that's the theme that plays in my head whenever I say Shelf by Shelf to people. And so that was Oh like, my God. Yeah,
0: that's literally... You that just fucked me up. I'm never going to be able to look at your handle the same ever again.
3: You're going to think it every time. Uh
0: my favorite content of yours is the whispering at your desk.
3: I love to like spill the tea. I don't know what kind of tea, but something with lots of honey cuz I'm from the south and I like lots
1: of <laughs> Oh my god, the the sweet teas. <laughs> Wait, I think I'm filled with good stories.
3: Yeah. When are yeah. you going to write your book of essays? I have a book, a memoir in stories called I Live at the End. I'm infuriated. It's so funny. I have several agents have the full. Some have read 50 pages or whatever, and they're interested. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But you guys have had it for a year now. Where are we at? In the meantime, I've been writing a novel. But I also keep writing more of my life because... I'm a narcissist, so. What
0: what draws you to memoirs? What draws you to essays? And share what
3: you love. I read a memoir years ago that, I can't remember what it was, but I just didn't like it. I don't know, There was it just wasn't clicking for me. And anytime that something doesn't click for me, it's like short stories. I used to read short stories and be like, what does this mean? I don't get it. And a couple of years back, I read Patricia Lockwood's Priest Daddy. And there was something about the language of that book that I found so beautiful. And her story I found so moving and hilarious. And after that, I, I, I saw that Mary Carr had blurbed her book. And so I went to go buy the liar's club and Mary Carr once talked about how memoir is about the subjective truth instead of the objective truth. How it's someone claiming that I don't know if what all is true or not, but I know this is my truth for me. And I think that's a really beautiful idea and something that we have begun to like, embrace more fully as we question the reality of everything around us. And, and mm. so I, I love that idea about memoir, but I also think the idea of analyzing your life. There's just such a great depth. There's such a well there, right? And that's a really daring thing to do, I think. And also, there's people like Alexander Chi and C.J. Hauser who write beautiful essays, mem- memoir, and essay-type books that that I just think speak to a truth that that we haven't really seen articulated as well until recently. I think that's great. And then also people like R. Eric Thomas, who is hilarious. And that I just get pure joy from. I was so deeply moved and, and, and impressed by his ability to... Be so funny, but so tender. And like I said, confront like more difficult truths about yourself in these pieces. And it's he's like doing this really tight kind of balance here with the different tone, the tonality of the stories. And that's just really impressive to me. Do you guys have a favorite memoir?
1: Do you have one, Jason?
0: I think I had a hard time reading memoirs because when I first started reading, my experience with them was like celebrity writing their story. Uh And I didn't really have an interest in that. And then I started reading, like, normal people's stories. And then I was like, oh, wait, I think I really like memoirs. (laughs) The first that came to mind was Crying in the Bathroom by Erica L. Sanchez. And I just talk about another book where I, like, laughed and I cried and I was so moved. And it is a memoir and essays, but it's also this collection of human nature. And then Intimacy Idiot by Isaac Oliver. He is gay and funny. And it's, again, very moving, but hilarious. and. So I, I think I like memoirs more than I ever thought I did.
1: Yeah, I think I think, too, when I hear essays in particular, there's something dry about that when I first get it into my head and mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be analytical. It's going to be. And listen, our Eric is a prime example of it's not. And at probably every one of those people you just mentioned. But I go all the way back to I remember the first time reading David Sedaris and I was like, oh, these are essays, but they were so funny. I would say I do enjoy the celebrity biography. All of these work so well on audio.
0: Of course. You listen to these celebrities tell their own story on audio, yes. and it's lovely.
1: Rob Lowe, stories oh. I only tell my friends. You will be blown away by what a great writer he is. His stories are, have you read it? No, but i heard good things. It's really fantastic. And then listening to Viola Davis's Marla uh,
3: Davis's was so good.
1: I will say, if you do ever, if anyone ever gets anything
3: from Lindsay Lohan, I don't care if she's a bad, I don't care if she's good, bad, whatever. I would commit crimes, bad crimes, to really, for oh, Lindsay. This is I, a Lindsay. good PSA
0: to any of our listeners. If you ever encounter something from Lindsay Lohan, send it to Hunter. I am obsessed. Shelf by shelf. <laughs> Hunter, did you have any other essay collections you wanted to shout out?
3: Oh, gosh. Yeah, this is my problem, is that I have too many. I'm, like, I'm thinking. I'm Just thinking. shout
0: them out. Yell them all out. We don't have I, to give details. Just
3: what are ones that you want to make sure people have on their radar? This was an essay collection by Joseph Leza. It's called I'm Never Fine, and it's dealing partly with him losing his father. And it's from a smaller press, and it's one of those, I don't want it to slip under the radar, because it was really beautiful. And I love this idea. He writes about this idea of why should he even have an audience? Like, why should any of us have an audience to our stories? We're like, so many people like what's special about us, maybe nothing, but also that's part of the reason why you should tell these stories anyway, mm-hmm. which I just thought was really beautiful. I, as I already mentioned, the, I think The Crane Wife of C.J. Hauser is a beautiful essay collection. How to Write a Biographical Novel by Alexander Chi, I think, is great. There are too many that. Oh, Ola Poppy by. Oh, uh,
0: yes, John Paul Brammer. Over, yes.
3: Yeah. It's a fantastic essay collection. Yeah. I thought that was so funny. And I, and every time he shares this thirst trap on Twitter, I'm like, thank you. Bless you. <laughs> Here's my problem, too. I actually, I got, no, I won't say canceled on Twitter, but I accidentally caused a, a mild uproar because I made a joke on Twitter that said we need to be discussing how hot authors are. I mostly just met. I know a lot of gay authors who love to be thirsted after, and I was like, "I will be your hype man." <laughs> and then a lot of people who I was would never thirst after was like, "I don't want you thirsting after me." And I was like, "You're not my, you're not my type, so it's fine."
0: The moment Greg came on the Zoom for lag lit, the first
3: words out of my mouth were, "You're so handsome." Oh no, this is you have I know to on every episode exactly <laughs> everybody's
0: <laughs> hype man
3: just <laughs> for the ego. I know See, when I was in high school, my. Chorus teacher who I was really good friends with, she signed my yearbook. And one of the things that she said was, I'm going to miss your compliments so much because you're always honest, but you always said something nice to say about everyone.
0: I think it would be fun for our listeners to hear maybe what's one or two books that you've read so far this year that you also want to have on people's radar. This we didn't ask you to prepare. Just generally or? Yeah, just in general. Like a book that if someone right now says, What did you read this year that you can't stop thinking about? You would say,
3: I would say, Brother and Sister Into the Forest by mm. uh, Richard Mirabella. I just found it very beautiful and beautifully written. Though the, the, he structures the book, I think he's talked about this. He structures the book emotionally over chronologically. And I think that's like a very smart, thoughtful way to do it. And I love his sentences. Thanks, Hunter, for joining us. Yeah, that's right. And make sure to get
0: our Eric Thomas's book. Congratulations. The best is yet to come, is what it should be
1: called. It really is. And you can follow Hunter again on Instagram under at Shelf by Shelf. And you can also follow our Eric there, as well as a variety of other places. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And we'll be back with you next week with another fun author interview.
0: And if you like what you're hearing, like, subscribe, give us a review, rate us, buy some books, follow us on social
1: media, tell your friends. Exactly. Whatever you got to do. Yeah, I got to say the ratings are really helpful. And it's also very encouraging for us to know that you want to give us five stars and you like us that much.
0: I know. Thank you, everybody. And have a great rest of your day and enjoy reading. Have fun reading and whatever else you do during the day. Okay, bye. Bye. You're making me <laughs> laugh today. Alright. Good. I'm gonna make you laugh every day?
1: No, you do. You do you. Do. Uh,
0: uh-huh. y- y- y.